Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, just glad to have you here. Uh, as uh, Trap said at the at the beginning, if you're new with us, uh, so glad that you're here. And today we're uh, we are going to talk about family a little bit. Um, I'm grateful for my church family and grateful for uh, for what we get to do together and, and the way that the Lord has brought us together. And, uh, and we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about it in the context of a series that we've been going through for the last couple of weeks called Counterfeits. And this may seem a little bit weird uh, right up front uh, because we are going into Thanksgiving this week, but this idea of counterfeits, true joy and, and life through Christ, and, and we've been looking at, the, at some things that we end up making counterfeits in our life that are counterfeits in our life that we try to find joy in that Jesus maybe just isn't involved in or isn't involved in the right way because we, we all are looking for satisfaction and, and fulfillment and happiness and we try to find it in the things of this life and they all end up coming up short uh, as opposed to seeking God and seeking the Lord for his true desires in our life and the joy that we really find in that. And we've defined a counterfeit as something that is an exact imitation of something um, that is valuable or important, but it has the intent uh, to deceive or to defraud. And so the things that, that we use, the counterfeits for false, uh, false replacements that we use for true joy that, that instead comes from Jesus, because this world leaves us wanting and, and leaves us unsatisfied. And one of those counterfeits um, is counterfeit community. And I'm even going to put it in the, in the frame of, of counterfeit family that can pull us away from what family is actually supposed to be and what Jesus intended and prioritized. And so in a lot of ways, today is talking about priority because I'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up. There's a few things that I may say right at first that you're going to need to let me finish because it may sound at first like, Rrr? Right, So let me finish the whole thought before you maybe jump to a place that I'm not intending you to go. This idea of family first is, uh, is a value that we have as a church staff. It's something that, that we say as a staff often. Um, it's something that I believe is rooted in, in biblical principles as well. But we also have this as a, as a church. Now, while this isn't one of the core values necessarily that we have up on the wall over there, it's embedded into the core values of who we are. Family First is a big part of the culture of Connect Church. And so if you're new with us, I want you to know that right up front, that we're big about our church family. We love each other almost to a fault. And I'm down with that. I'm good with that. Um, it's, there is some depth to this statement in terms of what it means for us as a church staff, for sure. Um, but also, yes, our biological family, and even more than that, the family values of God is really what this is getting down to. The family values of God are at the top and what that really means. You know, the holidays are coming up really fast, if not too fast. I don't know about you. I'm just like, oh, and it's here, right? It just kind of feels that way uh, to me. But you know, a lot of times uh, the holidays, the family traditions and the family get-togethers, the things that, that you maybe have within your family that's like, yeah, we kind of do this, this every year, like those sorts of things. Um, I know one of the things for us right around Thanksgiving usually, um, usually the Saturday after, um, is for Val and the kids, um, for the last I don't know how many years, we've actually gone down and cut down 
a real Christmas tree to bring into our house. Um, and last year, we couldn't do that. Um, and because by we, I mean Jay is on the ground cutting down this tree and has, you know, the work gloves on and, and all the things and the needles all over. I, I was really okay with us not getting one last year, right? Now, that, now, Val grew up where, like, they did that in their home. And so, like, to me, I was like, this is a lot of extra work. This is dumb. You know, kind of, because I grew up in a house where we just had, like, you know, the fake Christmas tree that you'd put up. And then, like, an hour and a half, you're done sort of thing. And we were still in the comfort of our home. And, and that was just me. So it wasn't a big deal to me, but it was a big deal to her. So we started doing that. And, and last year, we were out of town uh, during uh, the week of Thanksgiving and, and even the, the week after. And so by the time we got back, the really it didn't make sense for us to go get, like literally, practically, it didn't make sense for us to go get a, a real Christmas tree. There was probably no good ones left um, and all of that. So we did. We bought a fake one and put it up. And Val was not happy necessarily about that, but that just kind of was what it was. And the plans have been made since last year to get the real one this year. And so this Saturday after the game, that's where I'm going to be. Um, but let me ask you this question. Would the holidays still be meaningful if your traditions and get-togethers were removed? Like the holidays were still meaningful for us last year. Don't get me wrong. It was one of those things like, well, that would have been nice. But it's not like Christmas was just like in the garbage because of that. But there are some things that maybe we do weigh and measure in that way that we elevate way higher than they should be. So ask yourself this. I mean, just be honest for a minute. Would the holidays still be meaningful if your traditions and get-togethers were removed? Because we can put misplaced affection and things can become idols that we, you know, worship as counterfeits when we think that they're going to bring us the satisfaction that only God can give. And we're going to look at some scripture today. We're going to look at some verses where Jesus is, is actually challenging us and challenges his followers not to prioritize their lives around family first and foremost, let me finish, but around God, which in turn puts our family in the right priority order. I hope you heard that right. So let's talk about family. Because the first form of society that's mentioned in scripture is the family. Um, the premise, it's the foundation of community and, and, and shared interests, but it goes, it goes deeper than that. And so if you look up family in the dictionary, you get a couple of definitions, and here's the first one. A group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. Okay. So when we think about the family unit, you know, that, that's, this is one thing. This is one way to think about that family unit. Yes, God established the family, you know, the, the husband, wife, 2.5 children and a dog kind of thing, the stereotypical thing. And, and God has made clear what his, his idea of God's best is for that. But we also know that families come in all shapes and sizes. As I look around this room, families come in all shapes and sizes. And, and Jesus went beyond what is the stereotypical must fit in this box idea and expanded it big time. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing. I know plenty of families. I know plenty of godly families that don't exactly line up that way. Plenty of godly families that I'm seeing in this room. 
So does that mean they aren't a family? Well, of course not. Of course not. We don't believe that. So let's go to definition two for a second. All descendants of a common ancestor. Okay, much more broad. Much more broad definition here. But when you think about this in the context of the family of God and how when we believe that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, you begin to see the difference between counterfeit and what is authentically from God because all descendants of a common ancestor, if we are adopted sons and daughters of God as we, after we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then we are all common descendants, or I'm sorry, descendants of a common ancestor, that being God. Turn to Romans 8. Uh, in Romans in chapter 8, I want to look at a couple of verses here where Paul is talking um, as, as he's writing this, and he is trying to give some context to these ideas when he's talking about what it truly means to become a son or a daughter of God and how that works even in context of the culture at the time of Rome and what adoption really meant then. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. So if you're there, we're in Romans 8, verses 15 through 17, says this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So what's he getting at here? I know people, I've talked to people who think that they're disqualified from being in the family of God. And some of you maybe here right now or watching online may feel like you're disqualified from being a part of the family of God because of this or because of that. I've done this, I have this in my past, I've made this mistake, I did this thing this morning. God doesn't really want me. God doesn't want me to be a part of, of his family. But we can all relate to God as our father once we have surrendered and, and repent and we put our trust in him, regardless of where you're coming from and what you've done. And so when we remember that when we are in Christ, we have the privilege of relating to the Father even as Jesus Christ relates to the Father in the same way. So we don't have to wonder if we're really Christians, if we're really followers of Jesus or not. God's children know who they are. You know who your parents are, whether you like that or not. You know who your parents are. So under Roman adoption, at the time when he's writing this, the, the, the life and standing of an adopted child changed completely. Now you need to understand the, 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 the weight of what I'm saying here. The adopted child actually lost all rights, all rights of their old family and they gained all the new rights of their new family. The old life of the adopted child is completely wiped out in this day and age, right? The, the debts are canceled. Everything is canceled. Nothing from their past counting against them anymore at all, ever, like they didn't even exist in that family. Completely gone. And this is what Paul is getting at when he's talking about what it really means to be an adopted son or daughter of God because being a child of God means that you now have the inheritance. That's what he's talking about when he says the heirs, 
right? That we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so you are now, as a child of God, you are, the inheritance is also yours. It says in Luke 18, 18, this story, the rich young ruler actually asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he just didn't get it. He's asking the wrong question in the, in the wrong way, and he missed the point completely because inheritance, hear me on this, inheritance is not a matter of doing, it's a matter of being. It's a matter of being in the right family. Inheritance isn't about doing, it's about being. And as a follower of Jesus, regardless of what your past is, your inheritance is now secure because of who you are not because of what you do or have done. It's because it is who you are. It's part of your blood because of his blood for you. So it means you're now being a son or daughter of the king of kings, which means you have the right to an inheritance just like every other child. So when we understand this idea about God as our father and our adoption into the family of God, which is an awesome thing, all right, so my, my past is, is completely gone and all, all that was about who I am or was connected to is now gone and, not, and, my, and my life is now defined by my relationship with Jesus and his blood and that inheritance is now mine. What does that mean about my biological family then? Where does that fall? I'm glad you asked. I want to look at Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, I want to look at a, at a couple of verses here that are strange. That when you read these verses in a vacuum, it's, you're in, it's like, what? And this is Jesus speaking here. Now, let's read this together. Luke 8, 19 through 21 says, Then Jesus' mother and brother came to see him. But they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. And someone told Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are, are standing outside, and they want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Dang. Right? Like, that's kind of harsh. Like, it's your mom and your brothers. And you're like, eh. Like, at least that's how it feels, right? Like, you read that and you're like, oh, okay. Jesus, I'm trying to parse this one here. It sounds harsh. Let me tell you what he's not saying. Because when we read scripture in a vacuum, we can jump to some awful conclusions. And this is why we need to read scripture in context, historical context, and also read all the verses on both sides of a verse before you actually like jump into like other conclusions that were never intended. Here's what he wasn't saying. My mom and my brothers don't matter now. They don't matter. Your biological family does not matter. That is not what Jesus was saying. He was not saying, I'm just gonna disown them and walk away because now the only people that I care about are those who obey God's word and hear it that nobody else really matters. He wasn't saying only church family matters. This is not what he was saying. Here's what he was doing. This and a few other passages was Jesus expanding the idea of family in a new way. In a new way that had not really been understood or heard before that he's expanding the family of God and what it truly means to be a part of the family of God in a new way. He was saying that his closest family, 
those of a common ancestor, right, are made up of those who hear and obey God's word. And so that those are those who are closest to him. And so we draw close to Jesus by hearing his word and doing it. He wasn't, he, he wasn't saying they don't matter. He was putting some things in priority for us. See, and we gain a closer relationship with Jesus than even a normally understood family relationship when we draw close to him. And he reminds us that the family that we should care about is much larger than we may imagine. It's much larger than, than, than you might consider. It also contains people who may be complete strangers that we are gonna be spending eternity with. There are a few of you in here that I've maybe only said hello to a couple of times, you know, maybe only said two or three words, or maybe this is the first time. Hey, we're family. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, if, 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 you've, if you follow Jesus, guess what? Me too. We're family. And we're gonna be spending eternity together. That might depress you for a second. But, but it's the truth. Like, not all family get-togethers are like always a blast, necessarily. You don't always get along with everybody in the room. In fact, if you do, please tell me how you figured that out. But at the same time, we're also family and we love each other through thick and thin. And that's a big part of the culture of what it means to be a part of Connect Church, but also bigger and more important than that, it's what it means to be a part of God's family, of the church. We may not all get along all the time. We may not always see eye to eye all the time, and that's okay. I still love you. The person at the end of the row that you're sitting in, you may have only said one or two words to them, but if, if they're a follower of Jesus, they're family. We're family. And that's a big deal. And rather than a counterfeit for God, this family definition that Jesus gives us actually helps us to refocus and, and remind us to care for others because we're all working toward the same goal, or at least we should be, and that is doing God's will. That is the goal that we're all working toward is to do the will of God. And Jesus really puts such a fine point on that as the goal of everyone in the family of God during the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, he says this. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? We all worry about those things. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Like your father knows, he gets it. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen and amen. See, the things of this world that we so often turn to for satisfaction, food, clothing, family, they're not as important as the kingdom of God. And Jesus shows that the kingdom of God comes first before everything, and only then can we really truly enjoy and understand the benefits of family and the material blessings and the way that God intended them to be enjoyed is when we've got the things of God prioritized the right way because family is a thing of God. So of course this doesn't mean that family isn't important or that family responsibilities are no longer in play. Of course they are. Absolutely they are. And Jesus proved that because as he hung on the cross, he made sure to show that 
because he took care of his mom. It was the last thing he did. He took care of his mom by entrusting her to someone. Now check this out. He entrusted her to someone outside of his immediate family. Did you ever think about that? Look at this verse. John 19, 26 through 27 says, when Jesus saw his mother there, he's hanging on the cross. He knows he's about, he's about to go. The disciple whom he loved is standing nearby. That's John, if you didn't know that. That's John, who wrote John. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Okay, now, if you were here a few weeks ago, I did a little survey of everybody when we were doing our series called Tested, and I gave everybody a test. One of the questions had to do with how many siblings Jesus had. So we know he had some siblings. John's not one of them. And as Jesus is dying, he looks at John and says, yeah, I know I got some brothers. This is on you. I'm trusting you to take care of my mom. Maybe Jesus did this because at the time his siblings didn't follow Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Only his, his disciples were the ones that he could trust. Jesus wanted to leave his mom with a believer. Could be because knowing that John was the only disciple that wasn't going to die a martyr's death because all of the other disciples were killed for their faith and Mary outlived all of them and Jesus knew that they were all killed for their faith in awful ways except John he was the only one to die of old age he also knew that a lot of his siblings would not end up uh, living long enough either because a few of his siblings actually did start following him James ended up being a, a really high church leader and he was martyred and killed for his faith. So he, he wasn't able to as well. So Jesus did all of this. <coughs> Excuse me. We know that Jesus did all of this to emphasize the relationships with him and the kingdom of God, that those are more important. Hear, hear the perspective I'm saying this from. They're more important than those by blood. And you know why? Because they're bound by his blood. They're bound by his blood. And his blood... His blood is the blood that matters the most for any and all of us. See, true joy is found in our forever family. True joy is found in our forever family because we're all united by blood, by Jesus' blood. Now, I'm so grateful that my wife and my kids and my mom and dad and my sister and my nephews, that they all follow Jesus. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I also know how rare that is because not all of my family follows Jesus. And I know probably not all of yours either. But the blood that we're united by, not just our actual blood, but by his blood, man, it makes, it makes things so much, so much sweeter. But it shows up here as Jesus talks about that, that he's describing this, this new relationship this new family relationship and that all he needed to do was, was to look at John and say, this is the new relationship now between you and my mom, that she is now your mom. And he knew because of what he had taught and he knew because of the principles that were there that all the other things would properly follow after that. 
in the same way for us. There are so many commands for a holy life that Jesus doesn't need to give us all the real specifics of. He doesn't need to specifically give them all to us because if our relationship is ordered properly, that we're seeking the kingdom of God above all, then the conduct is going to flow from that. Yeah, there are some specifics in the Bible, but there's some things that aren't there that I think God's just assuming that we can have a little bit of common sense. Isn't it funny? Common sense isn't that common. But you know what this really shows us? An others-centered focus of Jesus because he was so others-centered. Even in his last dying moments, he was taking care of his mother. He was taking care of his blood family and his spiritual family. And he knew, he knew that because of the common bond of their faith and the trust that had been built upon that, that his mother would be taken care of and that his disciples would continue to do what he trained them and called them to do. And they would live by his others-centered example. You know, I know a few families within our church family um, that are just extremely hospitable. Just extremely hospitable, especially around the holidays. I know for a fact we have some families in this room and in the first service as well that always invite others over to their home for Thanksgiving. Some people, they, they invite people that may not have family in town or just may not have family, period. Really anyone to share these times with and they're probably more people in this room that do that and watching online than even I realize, which is an awesome thing. And that kind of hospitality is directly connected to the heart of God. It's directly connected to the heart of God because Jesus expanded the idea of family. And it's rooted in love for others and helping each other bear each other's burdens, as it says in Galatians 6. And so for those of you that are in this room, watching online, and maybe you have that, that false thought that there isn't room at the table for you. I hope that you see how counterfeit that idea is to the heart of God and to the heart of his people who are following him and prioritizing him. Because in the family of God, there is always room for one more. There is always room for one more at the table of God. And while, yeah, I, I know some families in here who would certainly say, if I asked them, yeah, there's, there's, we'll pull up a chair. There's, there's room there. Let me also talk spiritually and kind of metaphorically for a minute here because there is always room at the table of God. I don't care what you've done, what you've come from, you, where you walked in from. There is room at the table of God because the hospitality of God's family always, always says, pull up another chair. People don't necessarily have to sit and stay when you invite them. You can make that invite. They don't have to sit and stay. They can push back and ignore and that's on them because we have free will. But they should never, never be able to say that they aren't welcome in the family of God. Because if we're following Jesus, if we're doing our best to do God's will, and this person 
is following Jesus and they're doing best, their best to do God's will. Whether their best version of that is different than your best version of that is, is a whole nother story. But that means they're family. And there's always room for others to come into the family, to be adopted into the family, to put their trust in Jesus, to, to turn away from their sin and to put their trust in Jesus and know that they are now an adopted son or daughter of God and that they have a family that is a forever family. And, and that actually leans right into the connection point for the day, which is that Jesus is all about his family. Jesus is all about his family. And again, I started with right at the beginning, you may not feel like you're in his family. Well, guess what? Today, you can walk out of here and know for a fact that you are. Because true joy is found in, in God who created and gifted us with family and with community. So have you expanded your definition of family to include your forever family? Have you thought about that? It, it really kind of expanding that? The fact that there's always room to add someone to the table and that we should be inviting others to the table often. We should be inviting others to come to the table of God often. Because there is a world and there are people that are in your sphere of influence that you're probably gonna see in the next 72 hours who would love nothing more than for just a chair to be brought up. Maybe literally, but probably more spiritually and metaphorically than anything. That would just love for you to say, I want you to be a part of the family. I want you to know the good news of Jesus. I want you to be able to have the joy of the Lord in your life, even if all the things in your life feel like they're falling apart. We can still have joy in the Lord that you find in the family of God. Are we really embracing the place that you have in his family and recognizing the fact that there's room. Will you bow your heads with me? Can I just say that for each and every one of us that you are invited to the family. You're invited to the family gathering. You're invited to the table of God right now right here in this moment. God created you to be with him. He wants you to be at the table. Our sin is what separates us. Our sin is what makes us feel like we're not welcome, like there's not a chair for us. And we try to do things to earn that chair at the table, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work because we can't do enough things. We have to just be And Jesus is the one who came and paid the price for you and for me so that our sins could be washed away and pushed to the side and covered completely, not just pushed to the side, but covered completely. Just like that analogy I used about adoption, how your past doesn't even matter anymore. That's what Jesus' blood does for each one of us, that we are now adopted sons and daughters and our past is not just moved and pushed to the side, but completely erased like it never existed. 
And that invitation is for anyone and everyone. And everyone means everyone. And your eternal life can start right now. If that's you, if you don't know that for sure, I would just encourage you right where you are to just ask the Lord to save you. To just say something along these lines to God in in your own words. Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I need you to come into my life. I surrender to you and I give you my life. If you want to know more about that, if you want to pray with somebody about that, we would love nothing more than to have that conversation with you. But you can do that right where you are, right now. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this idea of family that's so important to you. God, that there is always room at the table for one more, and I'm so grateful. Lord, if there's anyone here that is feeling like they're not welcome, please, I pray that your Holy Spirit would push through that and let them see and feel and understand how counterfeit that idea is. You came and died so that we could be forgiven of anything and everything, and we're so thankful. Lord, as we move into this communion moment, this family meal, I pray that your spirit would just continue to move through this place. Amen.